WCB Podcast, your source for all things Chicago Blackhawks and everything hockey, with your host, Let's do it, Jeremy and Tanner. All right, welcome to a monster edition of the WCB Podcast. As always, it is Jeremy. We are here. It is episode 200. This episode is brought to you by Whiskey in the Wild. Whiskey in the Wild is a brand new whiskey company co-founded by Chicago Blackhawk legend Jeremy Ronick, who, if you haven't told already, is on the show today. He is the monster guest that we got for episode 200. This is bucket list interview that I have been trying for, um, and I'm so glad I was able to finally get it. And Jr. did not disappoint. Uh, everything you you hear about him and and the stories and it just it doesn't even come close to how awesome this guy is. Um, he spent a good solid 50 minutes with us. He even talked with us for a little bit after hockey. Um, talk about hockey afterwards. Um, what's really funny about this interview is that he uh he actually broke the Evander Kane wrist injury to us. He was watching the Oilers game um while we were recording, and he was like, "Oh, there's there's Kane. Kane got hurt." So we found out via Jeremy Roenick, which is not something that uh, a lot of people can say. Um, lots of great talk. I got myself a lot of Amante talking, which was something I really wanted to wanted to hear, considering they grew up together. Um, just talk about coming up playing Chicago Blackhawk hockey and you know, throughout his career and the game today. It was just awesome interview and I can't wait to get to it. Um, so I won't waste too much time here. Um, couple little housekeeping notes here. Uh, you may have noticed on social media and by the intro of the song, we've gone through a little bit of a rebrand again. I know I rebrand a lot, but it was time. We, we felt that it was the right opportunity to go ahead and make a change that we felt was going to be, good for the show and it's going to be more permanent um we're retiring the windy city benders podcast so going forward we are just wcb podcast tanner doesn't live in chicago anymore he doesn't even live in illinois anymore i don't know how much longer i'll be in chicago um that's a lot conversation for another day but um so just windy city didn't really you know didn't really fit the full name anymore um we'll always have that Connecting to the city, obviously, we're Chicago Blackhawks podcast, so we're, there's a connection there. We'll always have the Chicago Stars and our logo, colors, and all that kind of stuff, all that good stuff. But, yeah, so going forward, WCB podcast, here to stay. Let's go. Um, Before we get into um the actual episode here, I just wanted to take a second and to thank all of you uh, for the continued support and coming back each and every week, sticking with us when we take some time off. Um, I know I had to take a lot of time off throughout the years for health reasons and my dad passing and all that kind of stuff, but came back. You guys stayed with us and uh, we are better than ever. And it is so awesome to see where the show's going and that right now it's really the sky's the limit. Um, cannot wait to see what's next. Um, a couple quick more, one more thing before we get into the interview with Jeremy Roenick. Um, Like I said, this is Brought to you by Whiskey in the Wild. Um, uh, Ronick asked me to tell you all about his latest adventure, Whiskey in the Wild. On a rock, on the rods, or a la mode, this premium crafted Canadian whiskey blend with ash extracts of cocoa, vanilla, blackberry, and wild black elderberry is made in the spirit of adventure. Raise your flask, take a sip at the summit to great spirits and something smooth and something wild. And I actually got in some of both bottles today. Um, been drinking the original flavor and it is delicious. 
And in that episode, he talks about it, how he was trying to create a spirit for, you know, guys and, and girls alike that are going to enjoy it. And I got to say, I think they nailed it. Um, super cool packaging. He shows it to you, but I got it here as well. Here's the original. Um, super cool with the flask. He explains all this in the episode. You got the original. Then he got the with the orange twist, and he was awesome enough to send me over a uh, a signed flask for that, so I could add it up into the collection with the uh, with my uh, Belfort one. So, um, great whiskey. Right now, it's online only. Um, but let's let Jeremy talk about it. So let's get right into the episode. And um, ladies and gentlemen, here's Jeremy Ronick. <laughs> All right, so we are joined today by a very special guest. He was drafted eighth overall in the 1988 draft by the Chicago Blackhawks. He was a nine-time All-Star, had a pretty decent career, putting up 513 career goals, 703 career assists, 1,216 career points. He is one of the all-time greatest American-born players who is third all-time in World Juniors points for Team USA. Uh, Please welcome to the show Jeremy Roenick. Jeremy, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, you got it. It's good to be with you guys. Appreciate it. How are we doing tonight? I love the background. You got some really good uh, memorabilia on there. I see my my uh, sign picture. I know that. I think I was playing in Vancouver behind over your right shoulder. Um, over um, the right shoulder is actually um, so that's actually uh, no. Stieg Amante. Oh, it look. God, it looks like in the picture right there. It looks like that's uh, – <laughs> I have a picture that looks exactly like that, which is kind of crazy. That is actually – the the Coyotes jersey is actually a game worn from you. We uh, My my dad won it in a raffle for uh, Joey Jaguar hockey, so it's always been – Very, very sick. Sick. Awesome. I love it. <laughs> and you're representing my, uh, my, my line mate. My, I call him – I've always called him my soulmate of line mates. <laughs> Tony Monty. Yeah. Hey, perfect. So, yeah. so you know what? Let's, <laughs> yeah. let's just get right into that because you know what? We were going to ask you a question like, who was your favorite mm-hmm. teammate and why was it mm-hmm. Tony oh, Monty? <laughs> well, t- Tony was definitely one of my favorites. And I, I mean, how could you not when you uh, when you grow up with somebody from, you know, she is literally 13 years old and we even played against each other before we were 13 and then pretty much dominate the high school ranks uh, in, in Boston, him and I were on the same line at, at Thayer Academy. And pretty much there wasn't a, there wasn't a school that could stop the two of us. And then being able to play with each other in Chicago for, you know, for four years was pretty unbelievable, uh, let alone to get reunited with them in Philly in 2004 for the stretch run, which we probably should have won a cup that year. Oh. Um, and it was, it was, it was really ironic how that kind of came about because I got traded by, for Alex Jamnoff in 1996 and in 2004 in the third round of that of that series the third round of that playoff run i had me in the middle uh Zemnoff in the middle tony on the right and me on the left really fun cool stuff right what was so growing up playing with tony what was like your reaction when he got traded to chicago from from the rangers like oh i was i was ecstatic i mean i was ecstatic i mean I, i i had gotten the guy that i knew knew better than than playing playing with anybody else right i mean i could play blindfolded with tony and literally know exactly where he was we just uh we just we gelled so well it was almost like i mean you guys have seen the Sedine twins and how well they played together it was very yeah. similar how tony and i played together it's almost like we had this this mental telepathy of of talking to each other but not saying anything so um I was really excited. I mean, it did have its bad, its bad issues. Stefan Matteau um, got traded for Tony 
and and Steph was my roommate in junior and was my uh, one of my very very closest friends on the Chicago Blackhawks and literally still to this day is one of my best friends in the world. Um, so it's, it's I kind of lost a great friend but gained like I told you the soulmate the soulmate of yeah. line mates Antonio Monte. It's just bittersweet moment there. Yeah, exactly. So just going back to like kind of when you were starting playing hockey, like at what point did you think that like going pro was just like a, a super hard reality for you? Well, I, you know, I, I've always, I always dominated every league that I played in since I started, you know, as a little kid, but you know, when you get up to high school level, you start playing in, in one of the best leagues in, in the country in terms of the high school ranks and, and you dominate them like I did. And then you start seeing the scouts come and the, um, you know, the college scouts and the pro scouts come to every single game. Literally, you can see them standing up the top of the rafters with their clipboards, just writing down stuff. And it's kind of hard to not think that you're um, you're going to be high on somebody's list. The only problem was we're Americans, right? And in, in, in a vastly over overpopulated Canadian sport and, and, and European too. It wasn't there. It wasn't the NHL's um, commonplace to draft 150 pound high school hockey players um, at 18 years old. So, you know, you had to keep reality in mind, but, um, you know, I got drafted eighth overall in 1988 and kind of shocked the world a little bit. What was your uh, initial reaction to hearing your name called by Chicago? Um, it was pretty unbelievable, to tell you the truth. Uh, I thought I was going to get drafted to the Quebec Nordiques. Uh, they had two picks in the first five round, five picks. They had number three pick and number five pick. And number three, they took a great defenseman in Curtis Lecision. And then I thought for sure with all the talk needing an, a, a forward um, and them really not doing so well uh, at the time to, uh, you know, I thought I was going to be done and uh, going to Quebec, which for me wouldn't have been awful. But, uh, you know, as you've seen, Mario Lemieux refused to go to Quebec. Eric Lindros seemed to refuse it later on. It wasn't the greatest yeah. place for, for certain players. I would have been okay with it. But um, I, I do think number, that the Quebec Nordiques and that number five pick in 1988 probably made one of the worst picks in NHL history, uh, drafting oh, a guy damn. named da Danielle Doré, who was a fighter, like a tough guy. In, oh, it's, if they picked up an enforcer at five, an enforcer. And was if you he look up, projected Daniel, to go that high, no, not even close. <laughs> and um, you know, it was it. That, that, eyes, eyes, pretty much, you know, you know, popped at that pick, and um, so I ended up going three more after that, which was pretty spectacular. I mean. I think we're all pretty excited about that still too. <laughs> it's definitely one of our definitely one of our well, favorite listen, players to, ever wore the sweater. Yeah, you, you get to you get to go to you get to go to an original six team. You get to go to a fantastic city. You go to a, an awesome sports city with great fans. Obviously, I didn't know how passionate the fans were till I got there, but fell in love with them immediately. And I tried to do everything I can to make sure that they fell in love with me too. And I think it was unfortunately cut short in 1996, but. Still, when I walk through Chicago, it is still a it, – it's an event. There's no question. Definitely. Um, so you talked about, you know, coming in 18 years old, you know, a buck 50, wet. You know, what was it like coming in as a rookie um, with the head coach of Mike Keenan? I mean, we hear all the stories about this guy being a hard ass and, and just not being really a player's coach a lot of the time. 
I mean, what was that like for you coming in, you know, as a rookie? Well, it was intimidating. There's no question about that. I mean, his, his, his reputation preceded him, but I really didn't care. I, my high school coach was a disciplinarian in, in its, in its fine, at its finest, as was my dad. So uh, I, I really didn't mind tough coaches. I didn't mind being yelled at. I didn't mind um, being challenged. So, um, but I was more, I was more excited to have the opportunity to play in the national hockey league. And I didn't look at Keenan as a, as a, a, uh, deterrent. I looked at him as, hey, you know, if he can make me better, that's great. And he really did make me better. It's, it's, it is because of Mike Keenan why I played the way that I played. Because when I was in high school and growing up, I was I was not a tough tough player. I was not a guy who ran around, played physical. Um, I was one of those guys that whined and cried when he got hit. If I went down in the ice, I'd stay down a little extra longer. You know, it just wasn't that the, I wasn't that tough mentality type of player that I had that I that I kind of turned into in Chicago. And that's because Keenan in my second preseason game in Kalamazoo literally grabbed me around the throat on the bench, grabbed me around the throat, pulled me backwards and was literally spitting on my face in a full out yell that if I didn't finish my checks and I didn't start hitting, hitting people and playing a physical style of game that I was not going to play for his team. And at 158 pounds at the time, um, playing against guys who looked like they should have been in prison and not on the hockey rink. Uh, it was, it was very intimidating, but, but I found I was fast. So I used my speed as my velocity and I, I just launched myself as a human torpedo and literally found out that I could hit really hard. I could do some damage and not only could I do damage, but the fans went nuts when I hit somebody hard. And I love that because I love giving fans a great, um, a great experience. I like to look at, I, I want them to look at me and go, wow, that was awesome. Whether it was a goal, an assist, yeah. a hit, or just doing something that is fun for, for the people and, and give them something to remember and appreciate. And that's, that's just how I, I, you know, I went about it. So that went in, became part of my game. When, uh, when you're saying that, like you kind of fed off of that, like rush that you would get from just getting that hit, and hearing the fans roar is like where you got a little bit more of that fanfare and going like that, showing that personality a bit more as like the fans reacted more to you. You got a little bit more out there for them. Well, listen, I mean, just like in everything, right. It's yeah. in everything you, 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 they're positives and negatives. You get great feedback on everything that you do. Um, I, I love doing things for the fans, but I also loved winning playing physical being able to play defensive, being able to score goals, being able to be creative and, and make plays. I mean, I I wanted to hurt people on the scoreboard and I wanted them to physically hurt them. I, I wanted them to feel pain because pain is one of the biggest deterrents of of getting somebody to compete. Sometimes that 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 pain threshold they'll you'll push them out of a game. So I was able to be able to have defensemen fear going back into the corner to get a puck knowing that their face was going to hit the glass and was going to hit it hard. And then the fans reacted to it. So not only did I, not only did I have that, that effect on the ice, but I had that effect off the ice, which made the building more um, electric. And there's just so many different positives. And when you, then when I went into an opposing rink, I did the same thing and the fans hated me and they screamed at me and they, you know, they hated me because of, all the different things that I would try to do in the course of a hockey game. And 
you know, that led to having fans that just couldn't stand me because I, you know, whether I unleashed a, a lot of, a lot of, of, of punishment on them, or it was, you know, my mouth that, that made sure that they knew it afterwards. One of the two, it was, you know, I, I definitely made an impression, whether it was negative or positive. Um, you can't say not too many people didn't know who I was at the time. Oh, definitely. Um, talk about the roar of the fans and all that. And you got to play in two iconic stadiums in Chicago. Um, you know, was there anything quite like, was the United Center able to replicate like the roar that you would get from the fans in sh- the Chicago stadium? No, no, that was um, that. that just you know, when you stand there for the anthem, it's pretty unbelievable to listen to the the anthem going, Wayne Mesmer singing, and at times not even being able to hear the words coming out of his voice, out of his mouth. So, um, you know, Keenan wanted to have a very difficult team to play against, and wanted teams to fear coming into Chicago Stadium. Walking up those stairs, there are twenty six steps from the butt from the basement up to the ice level and the closer that you got to the ice, to the, to the, you know, to the arena, the louder it got. And, you know, players coming up on the other side, we got, we came up all jived up and ready and energized. The other team came up going, Holy shit, we're in trouble. Right. And it's almost like we had a, a, we had a goal advantage before the game even started. Would you say it was kind of like almost Roman Coliseum like, for the opposing fans and you guys are the tigers and they're coming into your domain. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. It was, it was definitely an over overwhelming experience and, and um, a very difficult place to play. Uh, The fans were into it. I mean, the old Chicago stadium, literally the upper deck was literally right over the arena. I mean, everybody was right on top of each other. You can hear what people were saying. You can hear what they were doing. And, um, you know, there are fights. There are probably sometimes more fights in the stands than there were on the ice at the time. And, uh, you know, it was, it was, you know, then we moved from there into United Center. And literally, you could have taken the old Chicago Stadium and lifted it up and put it inside the United Center. It would have fit. Yeah. I mean, that's that's kind of the difference of, you know, of the size of the buildings. And and they tried to bring over the, the you know, remember the roar and, and at times, especially during their their cup runs, those anthems were just uh, massive. But there, there went a time. There was a time after I got traded that, you know, you could have uh, you could have heard a pin drop during the anthem. Oh you yeah, know, totally. Five thousand fan days. Oh, brutal. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Cheap tickets though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, cheap tickets. Well, you know, just like everything, you know, everything, everything is an evolution. Right. I, 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 I tease, I, obviously I don't mean it, but there is a little, little bit of validity to the fact that I say that, you know, the Hawks won in 2010 and I say, you know, what, if they didn't trade me in 1996, they wouldn't have won in 2010. Cause if you kind of look at it, right. Even yeah. though that's, that's a, that's a very bold statement, but every team has to build and have, they have to build a team. They have to go through a rebirth and sometimes a rebirth and a rebuild takes a long time. Well, they traded me, they let go of Tony Monti, they let go of Chelly, Chelly left, Eddie left. So they kind of, but it started with me in 1996 and it kind of lost a lot of luster. And then by 2001, there was nobody coming to the games. Yeah. They were the last place in the team. They were one of the worst teams in the league. And the fans did not like the team. They didn't like the owners. They liked the team, but they just didn't like how the team was being run. So they revolted. They didn't go. So by 2003, 2004, what happens? 
you're the worst team in the league. What's the benefit of that is you get the top picks. And when you get a guy like Jonathan Taves, they got him, what, third pick overall in yep. 2004, six, 2004, six. Was it four, five, 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 or was Kane six? Uh, Kane was, the two, back, was they almost back to back. Yeah, they were back to back years. Three and three and one. Yeah. Seven yeah, and so eight. You get, but, and then they won the lottery. They got really lucky with the next year with Kane. And, you know, because they were one of the worst teams in the league, they were able to get their probably their two of their generational players in Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane. And then everything changed. Then, you know, kind of then a uh, new regime took over in, in Chicago. You had, uh, you know, the, they brought back the old the old Hawks with Shelly and and Bobby Hall and Makita and Esposito and all those boys that came back to kind of, and they, they kind of gave the, the, the game back to the fans. You know, they gave the team back to the fans and people, people came back in droves and that's why they won a cup in 2010, 2012, 2016 or 13, 16. You know, that was, that's a, that's a dynasty. The dynasty was built, but I like to say it was built because I got traded. <laughs> I'm being selfish. I'm being selfish guys. Hey, put his name on the cup too. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, not that much, but you know, I always wonder what my I always I, I always wonder what my life would have been like if I stayed in Chicago my entire career and who is knowing how popular I still am in Chicago when I go back and how great they treat me and you know it's just it's it's one of my favorite places to go in the whole world um, and I'll say that even with Philly I mean Philly my fans in Philly are you know I love Philly fans so much and what they've done for me and my relationship with them. I, I just wonder if I would have stayed longer in those cities, what, you know, wh where I would be right now um, in terms of, you know, I, I probably definitely would be in the hall of fame. I for sure think that, but yeah. Um, but, you know, it would have been interesting. And by the way, don't get me wrong. I'm extremely happy here in San Diego, <laughs> not, not, not associated with the national <laughs> hockey league. I'm very happy about that too. <laughs> I mean, weather's always nice. You got the beaches right there. It's not too bad. Um, I live. A, I live. I live a. I live a great life. I really do. Yeah. Um, Stress free. Uh, I have. I own businesses. I actually have a job for the first time in my life uh, that I have to. Re I have to report to a boss, and I have. I have goals. I have expectations. I have. I have. Uh, I have. Um, um, uh, I have all these goals that I have to hit. I have to hit projections. I have. Like you know, expense accounts. It's kind of crazy, but yes. I I kind of like it. I really enjoy it because it's a different type of it's a different type of game for me and competitiveness, and I enjoy it. So if if you had to go back, say you were given like the do over button, and you had to pick one team to go back to to extend your career with, who do you think you would end up going with? Well, I mean, there's no question I wouldn't get I wouldn't get traded with them in 1996 from the Hawks. Um, I would do things a whole whole slew different in '96, and, and treat my contract negotiations a totally different way than I did. Um, but besides that, I mean, my leaving to agreeing to a trade from Philly in 2005 um, was a mistake too. So, but I had to. I did it for certain reasons. I did it for the the sake of the Flyer fans, and I did it because it was involved one of the best players in the world, and that's. Peter Forsberg. So, um, you know, I, I think I did pretty much everything for the right reasons. Chicago was for the right reason, but the wrong, the wrong way of doing it, you know? Yeah. Gotcha. 
I mean, when you're saying that like Philly means so much to you and Chicago means so much to you, then how was how was just your experience throughout the whole like 2010 like Stanley Cup, just like watching that go down and just kind mm. of also being on TV during that time too. I mean, when when they finally raised the cup, like that moment of you on TV where you kind of like break a little bit is like still yeah. that like hits me hard too. And I it, I think about that like somewhat every once yeah. in a while when like the final happens. I'm like, man, it's yeah, it was that was pretty, that was, was crazy it, moment. It, it was pretty surreal, to tell you the truth. Um, I didn't expect that reaction at the time. Um, I knew going into the final, um, being on television, you know, being at the games, knowing that I was going to be, you know, the first person that that was going to get asked every question because I played. Those are my two most prominent teams, right? Yeah. I always used to say, "Well, Chicago's my team in the West, and Philly's my team in the East." That was always my out, right? Um, but in all seriousness, both of those teams have massive, massive, um, you know, compartments of my heart, like massive. So during that, it, I was almost like, listen, I'm, I'm going to win, win, lose, lose. Like I'm in, for me, one of the teams that I love is going to win. And I will tell you to see that, that cup get raised above the head of a team that I, battled for and tried to win that cup for bled on and sweated on. I did it. Obviously I did it longer and better at, in Chicago than in Philly, but I had three and a half really good years in Philly where I lit that place up. And I, we, I told you 2004, I should have won a Stanley cup in 2004. That was the best team that I've ever been on bar none until sharks in 2009. But, uh, I, you know, when that cup went up, I, the, the emotions hit me, man. That's, that's the emotions just came over. I mean, I'd seen the people that I knew raise that cup and I, you know, I, I reacted to it. I got a lot of shit from Philly fans, you know, yelling at me and this and that. And my response to them was, Hey, I might've done the same thing if Philly won. That might've hit me the same way, but you know what? They didn't win. So yeah. you can't blame me. Yeah. Don't right. blame me. I might have done the same thing for Philly. And yeah. if I did it, if I if I did the same reaction for Philly, Philly fans would have been off the chart uh, awesome and towards me. And Chicago would have given me shit. So, you know, it's that's I was just passionate. I I, I always wore my heart in my sleeve for every time I played. And, you know, when I see them win a cup, it's emotional because I don't have one. And I bought I fought hard for many years to get one. I hit one NHL final in 21 years. That's, that's scary to scary to digest, you know? Yeah, it's kind of crazy to think too. I mean, that that was your third season too, that you guys hit that. And then you guys just ran into that, that juggernaut. That was the Pittsburgh Penguins that year. It was just eight, eight, eight hall of famers on that team. That's, that's They're now eight awesome. hall of famers that were on that team. I mean, yeah, it's, it's not a bad team to lose to, but um, still knowing that we we're up four one in the first game and blew that lead. And every go every game was a one goal game. This kind of it's yeah, it's hard. It's no question. Um, so talking a little bit more about like you know, like your personality, like you were like one of the first players that like really showed personality out there. Like most hockey players, it's just dry cut, you know, copy paste answers and all that. Um, when you start showing this personality, I mean, how was it kind of like that like um, how do other players around the league kind of like, you know, react to that? Like, were they kind of like enjoying it too? Were they kind of giving you crap? Like, you know, like knocking it, it off? It wasn't, 
it wasn't so much the players as it was the management and the coaches, right? The old school, uh, I call them the dinosaur Neanderthal type thinking, right? The ones where it's like, you're not above the team. Don't bring your, don't, don't showboat. Don't alienate yourself from, you know, just the just cookie cutter. You got a job, do this, walk straight forward, talk the talk, walk the walk, walk the line, say what we say. Kind of like the old school mentality that just not being, not being over flamboyant, which means it's team first. It's not individual first. So anybody that does anything different individually, you are going against kind of the, the reputation of how the league was built and how it's been run for so long. And that's, that's clean squeaky clean, you know, <laughs> obey, uh, obey the laws, you know, re be respectful, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I, I kind of pushed the, I pushed the envelope. There's no question. Um, people want to see entertainment. They want to see people say things that are uh, controversial. They want to see things that will cause a stir and, and get people start talking and they're more inclined to watch when they when they're drawn to somebody. And I, I I always I always tried to do that for the league. Listen, did the league did the league get some negative press from me? Sure, no question. But they still read about it. People yeah. people came and read about the NHL, even if I was negative. But I mean, my negative to positive reaction or influence on the league was so so much more greater on the positive side. But Unfortunately, people only remember or they or they uh, ex ex exacerbate the negative. Yeah, the more the more I mean, controversial is what sticks around more in people's minds, I think, too. But uh, do you think like well, media with, too? media negative right. sells media. So oh, media yeah. harps on that. So the media harps on the negative and they show you in a negative light and they show people that don't know you a side of you when they don't see the other side. And they right. don't show the other side. So, you know, I, I will say Kurt Schilling said one of the coolest things I've ever heard when talking about why he's not in the Hall of Fame. And it's it I think it pertains to me to a T, the same way as it does him, is that the the media has has created a Kurt Schilling that doesn't really that does not exist. Really doesn't exist. And the media has has created a perception of me that does not exist. It, it really doesn't. And I think a lot of people that meet me in the course of a day, of a month, of a week, of a year, I just, I was just in Las Vegas and met this super, super nice woman. She's turning 50 years old. She's a Flyers fan and came up to me and said, hi. And another person that said something to me from Ottawa and another person from Colorado. And, you know, they left, you know, saying, Wow, what a what, you're such a good guy. You know, it's just such it's so good to meet you. Thanks for talking to me. Thanks for this. And I'm like, well, of course, that's that's what you're supposed to do as a human being. You no know, respect, you know, enjoy people. But the media, they're the media, a bunch of bunch of fucking assholes that just all they want to do is harp on the on the negative. Yeah, I, th I think that we see you tend to see that a lot too, just because like that's what gets nowadays at least too is that's what gets clicks. And that's what gets like everybody's attention and gets like conversations going. It's like, like all the good yeah, news it's, it's doesn't also, really get, why, get get all yeah, that it's, too. It's, it's also why our 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 country is in shambles. Yeah, and and that is that is ninety ninety percent media's fault.
Yes, 100% agree on that. Um, all right, so let's you know fast forward a little bit now to um to the game today. Like, you know, what's your opinion of you know the game today versus like how it was when you were coming up? Like, you know, do you think the game's better off now than it was, or it's totally different, man? It's a totally different league. Um, early '90s, it was cutthroat, hard hitting, in your face. Um, consequential um you you had to you had to be uh you had to have accountability for the way that you played um you had to play hurt you had to play tough and it was a it was a very difficult game to play um nowadays it's it's amazing talent like talent beyond belief um amazing coordination agility um these guys are they're the best conditioned and best most coordinated athletes on the planet and what they can do on skates is amazing to watch uh, unfortunately they're not they're not the toughest there are still tough guys in the league there's still, still some guys that play old school that but for the most part it, i mean they've kind of eliminated a lot of the fighting um i think the national hockey league has really done its 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 best to clean the game up in terms of the fighting aspect in terms of it's hard nose mentality but it's it is it is for sure a weaker hearted game and it is much more of a extremely talented game and listen it's but it's fun to watch I'm, i watch hockey every i'm actually watching a game right now as i'm talking to you guys you know i'm, I'm watching the tampa and, and edmonton you know i mean we, we have we have today's modern version of wayne gretzky playing in the National yeah. Hockey League right now in Connor McDavid. I mean, the kid, without question, I don't care what anybody says to you in any aspect of the game, of the word, Connor McDavid is the most talented person ever to put on two blades and do what he does on two blades. Bar none, hands down. Now, will we see somebody better in the future? I, I find it hard to believe if you, if you can get better on two blades. But... Um, you watch Wayne Gretzky play in the early '90s, late '80s. You see Wayne, you know Mark Messier, Mario Lemieux. It is a totally different level and style. What Connor McDavid does on blades than what they did on blades. So Connor McDavid is doing almost the same thing that Mario and Gretz were doing back in back when goaltenders were fat, out of shape, and didn't want to go to the ice, right? <laughs> With small with small equipment, Connor McDavid is doing the same thing to extremely talented players, extremely well in sh well well fit and in shape, extremely strong, extremely fast with goaltenders that you know are just as good athletes or in better shape, more athletic, more flexible, um, better uh, mechanics with bigger equipment. I mean, it's pretty scary when you think about it. Um, you put Connor McDavid in the game back in the late eighties, he has 300 and 350 points. I would, I would, he's, he's, I would agree with that hundred percent. I was gonna, actually posing have, the question. He's going to have, he's going to have, have three points almost a game. Yeah. He's almost going to have three points a game. <laughs> well, I was posing the question to our, in our group chat, like yesterday, I was like, what do you think the chances are of Connor McDavid being one of the first players to hit 50 goals in 50 games 
at some point in his career in the next few years, probably because he's at a, basically a goal a game at this moment. In this generation, there's are there are there three or two two players that have hit fifty goals in fifty games. I know of two. It might be three, but two for sure. Uh, and that's that's Gretzky and and Cam Neely. Um, but in this day and age, almost unheard of. But right. if you think about it, but if you think about it, I mean, Austin Matthews probably could have done that without the, the lockout or without the, without COVID. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, he did, he did score 61, 62 goals in 72 games last year. Um, I think Austin Matthews has taken over as the best goal scorer in the national hockey league. Uh, I think the best goal scorer I've ever seen is Alex Ovechkin uh, teamed with Brett Hall. I think those are the two best goal scorers I've ever seen, but um no, to watch this game, it's it's fun, man. I don't know if you like watching games, but playoffs oh, yeah. are playoffs are amazing. I don't miss. I, I mean, I like the fighting and all that stuff. But I don't, I don't miss the fighting, but I, I like it. But I don't miss it. Um, Is there part of uh, you that, it, that sees like you know the the fights that do happen usually have come up because of clean hits? You know, big. I, I, it, it, it kind of, it kind of bothers me. Isn't it? I, I've had this conversation with a lot of people. There's some people that are like. Yeah, if you're a teammate and one of your teammates gets hurt or hit, then you have to respond to be a good teammate. But then again, that teammate should understand that it's called hockey and it's physical and there are going to be hits. And if you're going to go around and fight every person that has a good hit, then you'd be fighting all the time. Like sometimes, sometimes it's the guy that gets hit. It's his fault he got hit. Right? Right. So... Or it's the person who passed the puck in a suicide yeah, pass exactly. situation. It, exactly. And so I, I, I'm not, I am not a fan of let's go fight the guy who made a big hit. No, no, it, that's, that's the game. That's why we play hockey. If you don't want to get hit, go play tennis or golf. Okay. But don't play this game. I, I understand being a good teammate and all, but I just, no, I just, you take your number and get back later later on the game. That's all. You no, know, we say yeah, you know, we say get, get his license plate, but get that <laughs> license plate. Get, get that license plate. Yeah, 100%. Just thinking like if you were to translate the game that you had and if you were to play today like in I get the prime, same I get the same I get, you would I get just the, I get fights all the time. <laughs> um like you people would be just going after you. No, I wouldn't. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't because no, I wouldn't because there's no I, I, which I think the NHL did to get rid of fighting is they got rid of the instigator rule, right? I mean, if I played in today's game with the yeah. rules that they have today, I'd get suspended every week. <laughs> I would, I would get suspended every week because I hit to hurt. I hit to knock people out. Sometimes I, I don't mind saying it because that was the mentality of the game back then. I, yeah. I went for the jugular. There's no question about it. Um, and in today's game, you can't hit the way that I hit back in the in the nineties. Um, I would get suspended every game, but I, if I hit like this now, I wouldn't fight because if you instigate instigate a fight, you're 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 suspended. You're going to get suspended. You're going to get kicked out of the game. Back in the nineties, I had to fight because if I hit Wayne Gretzky or I hit somebody of of prominence, you do it's there. There's going to be a lineup guys that are coming off the bench that are going to fight you. So you're going to play that way. Then you're going to have to live up to it and you're going to have to fight and you have to be accountable for the way you play. There's people in the game today 
not, not so much as of right now, but over the last five years that don't take, have, they don't have to have any accountability for the way that they play. They run around, they run around and play like idiots. They do stupid things to just get their team going or be antagonists. And they, they do some cheap shots that they don't have to worry about. Con McDavid just scored. He scored another one, 14 now. Um, there you go. There yeah. you go. They don't have to have accountability for it. So, you know, it's crazy. Yeah, Connor McDavid scored power play 14 in the end. He's insane. Yep, he is insane. I don't think anything's even fair when it comes to the like Connor McDavid and anybody on the power play. It's just impossible. Plus, Connor McDavid and Dreisaitl. Exactly. You have two two of the top like five players in the league on the same team playing in the same power play, and they constantly lead the league in points. Like you're you're screwed. Well, I mean, you say two of the top five. I mean, these two, if you look at it, they're two best as points yeah. go. Yeah. I mean, both of them, as his, at, uh, before last year, it was Dreisaitl MVP. It was Connor McDavid MVP. Last year was it was Matthews, obviously. But um, it wouldn't have been surprising if you saw Dreisaitl or McDavid win the MVP last year. Right, yeah. but do you think that it kind of hurts them too because they're on the same team when you're talking about MVP talk that that goes into some people's minds as well? Um, a little bit. I think Drysaddle gets the worst of that. Yeah. Um, because you know they say, oh, Drysaddle's only there because because McDavid. Well, that's not true because Drysaddle makes McDavid pretty damn good too, and they're both tremendous players. I think, I think they have a problem in Edmonton is because you have a bench watching these two play all the time and it's easy for them to get mesmerized by what they're doing and not and forget about that they have to fucking play the game too <laughs> right yeah i mean you have four lines for a reason yeah and like this this yamamoto kid zero goals i mean how does how does yamamoto have zero goals i mean you had nugent hopkins who i think is a dud but he had a big game the other day and he can he's a you know he's a jekyll and hyde player after after those players, who who else? Kane Kane has been a good addition, but he has mm-hmm. to be because this this is his last chance. Um, yeah. Besides that, it's the rest of this team is a bunch of duds. Yeah, I mean, I don't don't completely disagree or anything. That's, that's what makes <laughs> sense. Um, so yeah. just talking about like players, kind of like McDavid and and uh, Drysital. I don't know if they would fit into this, but if you could play on a line with any two players in the NHL currently, who do you think you would want as your line mates? They can be on completely different teams too, but who would, who would be your dream lineup right now with you mm. playing on there too? That's a good question. I, I, that's the first time somebody asked me that question. That's a great question. So for sure, Patrick Kane would be on, Patrick Kane would be on my wing. That's, that is for sure. Um, so I'd have Patrick Kane on one side. I can't have, I can't have, McDavid because he's a centerman, so I, I'm I'm taking the center spot. So I'm taking probably I'm gonna take Connor McDavid on one side. I'm gonna take McKinnon on the other side, and I'm taking um, Headman. Oh shoot, mm-hmm. Edmonton. I'm taking Headman and and um, uh, and the stud the stud kid in Colorado. Kale oh, Kale McCarr. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> well, I, you know, I just, I just talked, I just talked about, um, I just talked about Evander Kane, and he just sliced his hand off of his, off of his wrist, so he's going to be done for a long time. So he's done. Okay. So he's gone. <laughs> so he's done. 
It's crazy. Yeah. Damn, and I'm, I'm sure we'll see that in about that, five minutes. And, and, I'm not, and I'm not kidding. He just got a skate on the wrist and probably Ooh. is probably making sure he doesn't, you know, lose too much blood in the locker room right now. Terrible. Jeez. You know, <laughs> yeah. See, that's just, you got to love watching hockey games when you're doing yeah. podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was honestly, I was going to put one yeah. on, but I was like, all right, I got to really focus right now. <laughs> like, this is... Yeah. Yeah, but oh. yeah, but now 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 Edmund now Edmonton's lost Vander Kane, who is their third best player on the team. So that puts more emphasis on on McDavid and Drysaddle to uh, to put up big numbers. So you know I can see Edmonton going for a little dive over here for the next little while. So if you're a betting person, bet against the Oilers for the next little <laughs> while. All yeah. right. So you're talking now, you got like, you know, you got a real job and all this kind of stuff now. So tell us a little bit now about um, what you're doing. You know, you got your big part of the the whiskey in the wild. Um, yep. Tell us a little bit about that. So I, um, I got involved with, uh, with the, the spirit world a few years back and I kind of really tr- got drawn into it because I'm a, I love whiskey. I love tequila. I love good vodkas and, and especially during COVID, you know, there wasn't much more to do than to sit yeah. around and, and drink and, you know, get through the, a, a terrible situation. Um, so we started, uh, we started creating uh, a cool blend, whiskey blend, because as you know, whiskey is the most popular um, alcohol right now going in the game. And uh, sorry, boys, there's, there's like a huge storm. In oh, my okay. area right now. Oh, okay. and by the way, I, would... I, I live in San Diego, and it's really one of only two storms that we get in, oh, really? in San Diego throughout the course of the year. I got to um, go to San Diego so bad. <laughs> yeah, but it's um, yeah, but we we're in that right now, and uh, so I was just talking about how I got involved with whiskey. Um, so I started uh, I started creating uh, this idea of building a whiskey company, and kind of I don't want to do regular whiskey and have to learn how to, you know distill it and do all the things that uh you know that you need to do but i wanted to have something that i I just want to have something that people really enjoyed i know i know that the millennials gen z's they love blends right they love flavored uh spirits they love different things about um you know about whiskey so i said listen let's do something that everybody loves let's do a chocolate whiskey and uh, as we're doing this chocolate whiskey, our team decided to do add two skews. So we um, we created for over two and a half years, and we've created what I believe is the greatest blended spirit of whiskey that you will taste ever. And it, that's my chocolate whiskey. Mm. As you can see, I, as you can see, I put a flask on the bottle. That's dry cycle discord. Uh, a a <laughs> a flask on the bottle um, because I wanted to do something really cool and unique. And we created a bottle that was, that was com- completely artistic and a beautiful bottle, but we call it the traveling spirit. Cause I want people to take this, this whiskey anywhere that they went, uh, be able to fill it up with a nice little uh, spout on, on the, on the top oh, nice. and take it, take it camping, take it skiing, take it hiking, take it wherever they want it to go. And we call it the traveling spirit, but it's whiskey in the wild. This is the chocolate version. Um, I also have the other skew, which 
is our chocolate orange and obviously Ooh. it's deciphered it's deciphered by the color of the band that holds the flask in place and uh this has been an amazing it's been an amazing run um we started we we launched four months ago on libdib so if anybody wants this wants this you have to go on online and go to whiskeyinthewild.com and order it online but we're we're close to having a, a distributor in the states, and I'm hoping this is a, is a huge hit. Uh, actually, I'm doing a couple events tonight at a couple whiskey houses in San Diego, and mm. it's been unbelievable. But what I did try to do, guys, and I think this is really important with the, with this whiskey. Everywhere I go, men love whiskey, women don't. That's just you find that's the that's pretty much the the, the percentage. Um, not many women like it. I wanted, and, and men like to drink with their wives. They like to drink with their significant other. They like to have that camaraderie with both men and female when you're sitting around smoking a cigar or sitting in a bar or something like that, or sitting at home in front of a fireplace. So I wanted to try to bring the female uh, drinker into the equation of liking whiskey. Well, we have created a spirit that I would say 90, 98, 98% of females that try my whiskey fall in love with it. So we, we kind of uh, achieved our goal of bringing in uh, the, the, the masses into liking whiskey. It's pretty, nice. it's, it is an amazing experience. It's an amazing drinking experience. That's awesome. You guys uh, have plans for a, a few different others or is it just the two for right now? Well, you got, listen, you got to crawl before you run, right? Right. Um, <laughs> Big dreams gotta, right now. <laughs> yes, we, got, we, we, we have to we have to make sure that we uh, that we that we created something that people are going to love, that people are going to buy and that people are going to rebuy. And I think we have done that so far in our first four months of uh, being online sales. Um, I mean, we are literally we have been told uh, by our distributor that we've had the best the best launch of any any blended spirit of any any company that they've ever been associated with, which is nice. gratifying because you can be great one day and then gone the next if you don't keep up with it. So uh, we're very, we're very keen on making sure that we build the the lifestyle, build the brand and try to get as many places as we can. But um, we know we have a very unique product, but the, the liquor business is a tough, it's a tough world. It's a hard business. So we'll, uh, we'll keep banging at it, but um I'm drinking it right now, and I'm enjoying every second of it. Yeah. <laughs> I ordered both. I ordered both bottles, so they should be here sometime next week. So I'm really excited to. Uh, oh, you did! Oh, fantastic! I, I love it. Well, thanks, thanks, thanks for the order. Well, I would hope that you uh, that you push it over this awesome podcast that you guys have, and and um, when you do when you do taste it, don't be afraid to have one in front of you and uh, push it to the masses. Because I will tell you, whether you're a whiskey drinker or you're not, you'll be extremely pleasantly surprised by the experience that you get when i always say the bottle will make you buy it the taste will make you buy it again right mm. the bottle is okay. the bottle's intriguing the bottle will will make you buy it what the what's inside it will make you buy it again i'm so yeah it's, um, it's pretty spectacular do you uh yeah. do you still keep in touch with like belfort and chelios because i know you guys all three of you guys are kind of like in your own little you know, whiskey and tequila right now. Do you guys, do you ever like say like, yeah. Hey, we're kicking ass yeah. right now. Kind of talk shit a little bit to them. Yeah. So I talk to <laughs> Shelly all the time. I, I actually text Shelly today. Um, Shelly, 
Chelly is my uh, probably my biggest influence in my life in my career. He's um, he's Captain America. He's the best captain I ever I ever played for, and he's one of my greatest friends in the world. And um, I, I just never I've never seen a more committed, passionate lover of the game than Chris Chelios. Uh, and I know he has a tequila, and he's he's doing very well with it with El Bandito. And I know Belfort Spirits is doing well. I I talk to Eddie all the time about what he's doing. Eddie is a little different bird, though. Just like he played, just like he played hockey. It's exactly how he. It's exactly how he. Exactly. It's exactly how he does his business. Um, he dives all in. Uh, he he went to school to learn how to make whiskey. He makes whiskey. He distills whiskey. He's building a whole plant to make whiskey. He's got the I family all involved too. Yeah, we had him on yeah, the show. I, yeah, Dane, yeah, Dane, Dane is on. Dane, his son is an amazing guy. I love Dane. He's such a, just, just, a, I love Dane. I've known Dane since he was born. Um, he, he's passionate about it. He's a, it's a different kind of, of passion for Eddie in whiskey than I have. I, I, he wants to make the best whiskey for people to enjoy. I want people to enjoy whiskey so they can enjoy it with other people. Yeah. Right. And Eddie created right. one of the most be beautiful bo bottles ever made, I think in whiskey. So he's got that going for him. And, and I try, I, I, I always told him if he ever needs help with his whiskey, I'm in, but those are two of my favorite people in the world. So yeah, I do talk to them quite often and um, we are friends and we kind of, talk about our trials and tribulations in, in the alcohol world. It's not fun. Let me tell you. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So we, you know, you've been on almost, for almost an hour here. We really appreciate the time. Um, before we let you go, we always ask our guests one last question. Um, what is your all-time favorite hockey memory, whether it be from you playing, you watching the game, you know, anything like that? Do you have, like, what would be your, your favorite memory? So obviously you get a lot, right? Um, It, I see. I can't. It's hard for me to answer that because I have two lives, two two different hockey lives. I have minor league hockey life, and I have NHL hockey life. And I was much more successful in the minor league hockey life in terms of championships than I was in my pro hockey life. I'll give you two. Um, when I was a Bantam playing for New Jersey Rockets, we won two national championships. Um, the first one that we won, we won in five overtimes in Buffalo against against the Chicago Young Americans, the team that we had lost to all year. The only, the only team we had lost to all year ended up winning. And then we won the following year. So we won back-to-back -back national championships as uh, for the New Jersey Rockets. And that was pretty awesome. But then playing in the 2002 Olympics um, for Team USA, playing against uh, the Canadians in, in the gold medal game was probably one of the coolest things ever because when you're growing up, it's a Canadian sport and Canadians were the best at it. And us as Americans in the, in the 80s, we, we couldn't compete with the Canadians. And, and in 2002, because of my generation, I say not me, I just say my generation with the Amantes, Chelioses, Leeches, Leclerc's, Medanos, uh, Billy Garens, Waits, um, Richters, Kachucks. I mean, I can go down the line. That generation spurred on today's U.S. generation, but we put us, we put USA on a on a world map. We were one of the best teams 
if not the top two best teams on the planet. And uh, I was a part of that. So that 2002 gold medal game in the Olympics, which is the number one platform for sports, and we were on it. It was pretty awesome. Even though we lost, I was still there. It was pretty cool. That's really awesome. Well, Jeremy, we really appreciate you coming on. Um, I can speak for Tanner for sure. Like you are one of yeah. our all-time favorites. <laughs> we, I love it. That's so cool. That's huge so cool. honor having you on here. Um, sorry I didn't let you guys talk too much, but that's – Oh, no. Nice. Hey, <laughs> we do this every week. It's fine. <laughs> we talk enough. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, well, I appreciate you I appreciate you uh, asking about the whiskey. That's uh, that's the passion of mine right now, and, you know, uh, appreciate you, you you getting it, Zach, and everything is great. So we'll keep doing it. Keep pushing it out there. And, we will. And anytime, uh, anytime you guys need me, you got it. Awesome. Really appreciate it, Jeremy. Thank you, thank you so much for your time, man. Yeah, thank you so much. Cheers. All right. Take care, man. Perfect. Cheers. <laughs> again, thank you so much again to Jeremy and the team over at Whiskey in the Wild for making this interview happen. Um, bucket list. I am so excited that I'll be able to check this one off. Um, so make sure you go ahead and order um, your bottle of Whiskey in the Wild today. Uh, whiskeyinthewild.com. Follow them on social media, um, on Twitter at WhiskeyWildCo. Uh, Instagram, Whiskey in the Wild Co., and like them on Facebook, Whiskey in the Wild Co. Um, again, thank you so much for the support over the 200 episodes of the WCB podcast. We will actually be back with a second episode on our normal Thursday, uh, recapping the last week of Blackhawks hockey, previewing the week to come, and also talk about um, Blues coming to town and hopefully uh, the one time we really hope Blackhawks, you know, kick the shit out of the team but anyway um thanks again so much for uh, everything and we will see you again on thursday thanks for listening to the wcb podcast be sure to subscribe wherever you heard this podcast to connect with jerem and tanner check out the boys at wcb podcast on all social media we'll see you next time